This is the Get Med Savvy podcast on a mission to empower individuals to make more informed choices through practical discussions of medicine and the business of healthcare. With your host, Tiffany Ryder. Just a reminder, although I am a licensed healthcare clinician, my ramblings here are just that and should never be construed as medical advice. The primary care team are the real heroes, and you should definitely check with yours. Now, here's Tiffany. Hey everyone, today I'm presenting an interview that I did with Joel Silik. Joel's a professor of ophthalmology at Stanford's PA program and actually at quite a few PA programs in the U.S. and a couple even overseas. But I reached out to Joel because he really inspired me. He had a love for ophthalmology that predated PA school He went to PA school knowing that PAs don't really practice in ophthalmology and then got out, impressed people, worked hard, and found a way to make that happen. And not only that, after he figured it out, he formed an organization where he helps other people. He's incredibly, incredibly passionate about his field and his enthusiasm is just contagious. So this episode is particularly special for anyone who is feeling like their options are limited and maybe feeling uninspired to find their passion. Uh, Joel's really done that and sets a good example for us. So I'll let him tell his story. Thanks. Thank you for having me. So excited to be on here and just share my story and connect with other people out there. I think what was intriguing about your story to me was that you know, you're in ophthalmology. I honestly mm. didn't even know that PAs could practice in ophthalmology. Yep. It's the most common thing I hear. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet that is not original. Um, I did a little bit of research and it looks like there's less than 100 PAs yes. in ophthalmology worldwide. That's still true? That's still true. There's, I created like a group of us and there's about 80 or so, give or take, in that group. So. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. very many of us around the world now. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. So, um, you know, I think like what's particularly interesting is that medicine uh, tends to be a really regimented, highly regulated. We do things this way and we've mm-hmm. always done them this way mm-hmm. kind of place. Mm-hmm. Um, so really to forge your own way and find find your place in the midst of that environment, I think is really unique. So. Tell us a little bit about like, you know, what you do, how you got there and what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. It's very true that you say it that way, because that's honestly how it felt even during it and looking back on it. Um, So, yeah, I'm Joel. I work in ophthalmology as a PA. I've worked in ophthalmology is obviously a specialty, but there's subspecialties within ophthalmology. And so I've done comprehensive ophthalmology, which be more your bread and butter diagnoses. Um, But then two subspecialties within ophthalmology that I spend the most time in is oculoplastics. So the field of facial and reconstruction and cosmetic uh, surgery of the eyelids and the orbit area and the nasolacrimal duct. And then I spend most of my time within retina, and that's doing medical retina, which is the clinical management of retinal conditions, but also vitro-retinal surgery. Um, and I've worked with all ages on the spectrum within retina. I do premature neonates um, all the way up to geriatrics. Um, and so how I got in ophthalmology started with a handshake. I was in undergrad, a pre-PA student walking around <laughs> campus. I'm from Seattle, West Coast, and I'm in a school in Virginia, and I don't know anyone there. 
And there's this gentleman walking around and he's wearing a Seahawks jersey. And if you're football fans out there, I know, Tiffany, you are NFL uh, yeah, football cheerleader. Yeah. yeah, I was a Seattle Seahawks fan and I'm like, wow, who's a Seahawks jersey like across the coast? That's random. So I kind of took initiative and just was like, let me go say hi. And so I shook his hand and met him. I was like, are you from Seattle? He's like, no, I was born there. Um, anyways, long story short, he became one of my best buddies at college. And Was he a dad, Seahawks fan? He was a Seahawks fan. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yes. He was a Seahawks fan because he was born there and his dad did training there because his dad was an ophthalmologist. And so I got to know this family really well. They became kind of like a family that took me home on weekends, you know, back, back in the day. Yeah. And so um, through his dad, he was like, hey, you should consider ophthalmology. And I didn't know one in my family's medicine. I didn't know anyone. And so I went back home after finishing my pre-med degree. And I knew a family friend who was an optometrist, and I'm happy to talk about the difference between ophthalmology and optometry. But uh, through this family friend, I was like, well, let me just shadow him and see if I can kind of get exposed to this field. And as I think a lot of us know, when you're shadowing, that can be networking, that can be job opportunity. And sure. one month of shadowing, they offered me a job. And that's how I got my pre-PA clinical experience. I worked in ophthalmology in the clinic. And those were my first mentors, my first patients. And long story short, I fell in love with the field and knew at that time that I wanted to do ophthalmology as a PA, I also knew it wasn't common. I didn't know anyone doing it. I didn't even know I could do it, to be honest. Yeah. So I took a risk and I was like, well, let's go to PA school and I'll just figure it out. And like yeah. you said, it was very regimented in PA school. It, your expectations are do these rotations and come out and practice in these fields. And yeah. I remember going to them and being like, well, I want to do my electazone ophthalmology. Like we don't have any. No one's ever asked for that. I was like, well, I'll make my own. And so yeah. I've I applied to Duke University, the PA program there. They actually have yeah. a visiting student PA program where if you're a visiting student, you can go do in a rotation that's not a core one. So you're not competing with their students. And no one, luckily, wants to do ophthalmology. So I applied as a visiting student, got accepted and went to Duke Eye Center there and did all the rotations within ophthalmology. Spent a lot of time in uveitis, ophthalmic genetics, retinal degenerations, um, ocular oncology, they were interested in hiring a PA, so it was also like a job interview kind of rotation. I found during yep. there, I loved ophthalmology, but I didn't like academic medicine. That's a key thing I would say for listeners out there. You might like the medicine. You might not just like the environment it's being expressed in. So you also have to learn what environment you like that medicine being done in. Um, and then I did elective rotation in my home clinic that I worked at as a pre-PA. So basically, I wanted to come out of PA school with experience in ophthalmology as much as I could because I knew I'd be pitching this idea. And so I graduated PA school and I, no exaggeration, cold called probably 200 plus clinics in the, the Seattle area and just felt like a salesman, just like, hey, I'm Joel, I'm yeah. a PA, I want to do ophthalmology. And everyone's like, no, that's not a thing. Never heard of that. No, what are you talking about? How do we even do that? And, and it was hard because I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know either because I've never done it either. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I finally got one yes after uh, nine months of graduating. I worked in family medicine as a placeholder until I found OPSO. And um, I can say truthfully, doing a field that you're not passionate in, I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to then jump ship and go into your passion. And when you are partnering with someone who says yes, and they're taking a gamble, you know that's a healthy working relationship because they see your passion and they see who you are and they want to be with you that you're not just another employee to them. Um, but it takes a lot of growth and a lot of grace and patience because both of you are doing something you never done. But yeah. that was like a week before COVID hit and then COVID hit and we weren't allowed to do routine eye care. And so fast forward, then I now moved to the Bay Area where I'm at and I've been practicing ophthalmology now for the last three, over three years. 
and wow. I would do a full-fledged of ophthalmology and I love it so much. I have my own clinic. I see patients beginning to end and then I assist in the operating room as well. So Okay. Okay. Yeah, there are so a... many things really, you know, to unpack there that I think yeah. are really valuable. Um yeah. You know, I'm like sitting over here with my pen and my sticky note. And the first thing I wrote down is the idea of, you know, your shadowing experience as yeah. essentially being networking. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I talk to a lot of students. Uh, the further along I get in my career, the more important I realize yeah. it is to really like go back and make those connections with students and offer support that, you know, that yes. I wish I would have had. Yes. Um, and I think at least in my experience, Students don't always understand that piece. Mm -hmm. They no. don't always understand that anytime you are interacting with anyone tangentially adjacent to the medical field, right, including you're bringing your grandmother to the eye doctor, <laughs> if you want to be in ophthalmology or in medicine, that is essentially a job interview. It is an Absolutely. opportunity for networking. Absolutely. I mean, I can literally trace back to I got an ophthalmology because of a handshake because I saw someone wearing a Seahawks jersey. Like I would never have thought that myself. And you, when you look back on life, and so those little moments matter. Um, and I love that you even bring up the concept of like, you're escorting your grandma to the eye doctor. I just yesterday had a student who was applying to PA school and was here with her grandma for her retinal injection. Yeah. And that PA student then I was like, email me. And now they're shadowing me. And it's like, you never know. And so no just be open. But I think too, it does require us as the provider to also be receptive. And I think if you remember where you were at in your journey, um, that's a full circle moment to be able to give back in that way, for sure. And not everyone will be open to it. But, no. But, you know, you don't know what those transformative moments are in the no. moment. You no. only know them in hindsight, and, right? In hindsight. And for me, relationships matter. And I can look at people who entered my life at really pivotal times. And maybe they were for a short blurb. And some people stay in your life for all the different versions of you. Um, but I can see the impact that is. And so it's been fun to kind of age out the new grad PA yeah. and become a little more experienced. And um, so I do precept students. And I also teach at multiple PA programs because I found in doing this that PAs don't come equipped out of PA school to work in ophthalmology. Like, I don't know about your program, but I had a three-hour lecture in ophthalmology. That was it. And now you're asking me to go CI patients in an eye setting. I had no, without my elective rotations and my pre-PA experience, if you're a PA out there and you want to do ophthalmology and you've never done ophthalmology, you're starting from ground zero. I found my program specifically, I don't think I would have walked out of that lecture and been like, oh yeah, I'm ready <laughs> to see eye yeah. patients. Or I'm um, excited about it Or too, I'm excited. Right? Yeah, exactly. You're probably being taught by someone who's never done ophthalmology before. And so it's been a thing for me as I grow my clinical career to grow like a side, not a side hustle. I don't want to say that, but we talk about branding and a personal brand. And one thing I realize is I can basically go to PA programs across the country and say, hey, who's teaching your ophthalmology content? Do you need someone? I have a lecture already made. Here's feedback I've had from Stanford students that I teach at and other PA programs across the country. And that's also how I've been able to grow and connect with other students because there are actually a lot of students who were just like me. They were pre-PAs in ophthalmology and they want to know and see an example of a mere image. Is there someone doing this? Just last week, I lectured at Dominican University here in California. Two students worked in ophthalmology before, had no clue PAs could do ophthalmology. 
And so I think representation matters. And that's what I started realizing is I had no one representing and I went for it. But now that doesn't have to be the story for people after me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. That's so cool. And I like the way you put that, right? Because for me, that really holds all of the story. You know, there are people in all industries Mm -hmm. who are willing to say, this is what I'm passionate about and I am going to forge my way through. Mm -hmm. Um, But if those people who do that aren't modest about Mm -hmm. the advances that they've made, Mm-hmm. It's not about bragging about what you've no. done. It's not no. about Joel and how fancy no. Joel is, but no. it's about, hey, man, like we can do this. And here's the example. Come yes. look at it. Let yes. me let me let me grab your arm and help you through this. Yes. And I think that's really, you know, the the place that we need to be in. Yes. Yeah, I think so too, that position and that's how you operate. And that's why I've always stayed open to giving back because I saw like, this isn't about me at all. I was shocked at how many people were just like me and I wanted them to have a resource and an area to connect both professionally of PAs doing this, but also future ophthalmology PAs. I found practicing in ophthalmology as a PA, you're very alone. You don't have other PA coworkers. You don't have someone to cover you. You don't know anyone doing this. And that was one thing I, as I worked, I think it was about a year into it. And I just Googled, I spent hours Googling, researching, and I, that's how I got people's emails. And I would call the clinic they were at trying to get connected. And I was able to create an informal email group and get the PAs connected that were already doing ophthalmology in the US. And then there are some countries that implement them as well um, and get us connected. And we have as a group then, now you're working not just by yourself, you've multiplied mm-hmm. your story. And it's all these people who share this thing in common. And now you have help. And so we have been able to form a more formal organization within APA. They have them. Mm -hmm. They're called SOs, specialty organizations. So like dermatology physician associates. There was none for ophthalmology. So we now have official ophthalmology physician associate group within APA um, to establish some more formality. But that's still growing. There's only, you know, 50 of us doing this. So it takes time. There's not thousands of us like in family medicine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I talk to people in the whole spectrum of medicine, right? From people who are creating tech companies to medical professionals. And, you know, a consistent theme that I really hear from all of them is, you know, I've already solved this problem that we all recognize as here, but how do I communicate with the world the support that I'm offering? How do I create a Mm -hmm. community? How do I get people? Mm -hmm. How do I help other people? Yes. Right. So you found these people. What did you do? Did you just reach out to them and say, hey, I'm Joel? Yep. Hey, I'm Joel. I'm an ophthalmology PA. I see that you are. I don't know about you, but I feel very isolated in this field as a PA. I love my work. I'd love to connect with other people. And oh, by the way, I run into these scenarios at work and I have no one to ask because I don't have a model of how to onboard an ophthalmology as a PA. I don't have a AAPA salary recommendation for what do you pay an ophthalmology PA? And so running into these scenarios at work, I wanted then to reach out to people and build. And so now it's like an email where Someone can say, hey, is anyone not getting reimbursed for this? I used to get it all the time and like ask, have someone ask to or, hey, how much are you guys making? Because we don't have a lot of data out there on us. And how are you marketing yourself to show your value and your worth when you're applying for a job and I'm in ophthalmology and there's only 80 in the world that do this? I should market that. 
I'm irreplaceable. There's not, oh, I can go find another orthopedic PA. They're a dime a dozen. Yeah, good luck finding another ophthalmology PA. So learning yeah. to not sell yourself short and how to have those conversations. So it was just, yeah, I just threw myself out there and was like, anyone want to connect? Anyone want to grow? Yeah. And, and then the people that said yes, you put on a distribution list. and Yep. And now we have an email and we just, I'll send out routine updates and we get together at conferences and we have cell phone numbers and yeah, been able to connect yeah. with people all across the world in the country through ophthalmology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So across the world, do we have, do we have PAs in other countries? We do, my friend. Practicing ophthalmology? Yeah. So Tell me about those. <laughs> In ophthalmology, the two other countries outside the U.S. that are highest um, ophthalmology PAs would be the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands has several that I've connected to. They really enjoy ophthalmology PAs there. Um, and then Kenya, although Kenya, they don't call them PAs. They call them clinical officers. Um, but that would be a synonym. And they use PAs in ophthalmology. They're the scope of a clinical officer in Kenya within ophthalmology is a lot bigger than ours here. For example, they can do cataract surgery independently. PAs here in America can't do cater surgery independently, sure. but sure. <laughs> um, they, they cater these clinical officers to, they're not physicians and they, they can pick a track. And so they pick ophthalmology if they want to do that. It's kind of like how nurse practitioners can pick like acute sure. care, like psych, you know. Um, and then two other countries that are early stages trying to be interested in ophthalmology is in the UK, um, just... This year, they're going, they got funded by the NIH to have a one-year-long fellowship to train eight physician associates to get experience in ophthalmology to then hopefully become full-time ophthalmology PAs. So the UK has none right now, but starting in November of this year, they're going to onboard and just see how it goes. And then Ireland um, in Dublin, there's a PA program there, relatively new. The program director used to be the program director George Washington, kind of your area. Cool. Um, and she went over there and helped kind of onboard this PA program in Ireland. And actually how I got connected to them is another random moment. I am working away at my routine job. I get an email from a fellow PA that's in general surgery like, Hey, our Samuel Merritt, it's, I'm in the Bay Area, so it's another PA program here in the Bay Area. There's a lot of them. Samuel Merritt, PA students are just graduating, look for jobs. Anyone have openings? I'm like, hey, well, I don't have an opening, but I teach. Maybe they, I can use this to teach for them. I write sure. her back. Hey, I don't have any opening, but are you guys interested in someone teaching? Yeah, we actually need someone to teach your ophthalmology. I then get plugged into the program. I teach ophthalmology. The faculty member there was crucial in extending the PA profession across in Australia, New Zealand. Oh, I know this. PA program in Ireland who would love to get connected with you. I get connected. Now I'm going to teach their ophthalmology content. That's kind of how I know their interest in PAs and ophthalmology. There's actually a, the, the community there, the eye community has been for a year trying to figure out how to use PAs. And so I didn't know when I was pursuing my passion that I think at the time, looking back on it, I was just doing what I thought I loved. And I didn't know what would take me across the world where there's other people that also want to do this. It's fun. You don't know how big your journey will take you. Yeah. And so just enjoy it. Go after it. And who cares if people say no? I was told hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think that's really the take-home message here um, is that if it's something that you're passionate about, mm -hmm. I don't even know that you have to really even convince people. No. no, right? Like, yeah. you know, if it had been me out there, I'm not passionate about ophthalmology, right? Um, yeah. If it had been me out there describing this wonderful uh, knowledge that I could impart on their students, right? I, 
it may have been, oh, that's nice. Well, we'll keep that in mind, right? But when you have someone who lives and breathes and is just (laughs) excited about the work they do, it's so easy to want to bring them into your orbit. Yeah, I think so too. And then I also know now I'm bringing someone like that into my orbit. And so it's a healthy relationship when you're partnering with passion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My best friend runs a charity race and we were at the race and I was volunteering. Oh, is that the, the one you just did with the old yeah. ones? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 It's fun. I get to talk to all the little ones that come yeah. through who are at the race. But one of the sponsors runs a, a medical spa and they do some functional mm-hmm. medicine stuff. Like they've mm-hmm. got a pretty wide spectrum. And I went over just to say hello because, you know, he was Why a not? physician and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is a networking opportunity to get to mm-hmm. know another medical professional in my region. And he starts talking about female hormones and all of the testing that he offers. But you can just see it on his face. Mm -hmm. He is so passionate and Mm -hmm. so excited. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm like, do I even have patients I can refer to him? No, I don't really need his services. I don't know anyone. But, you know, we got home and I told my husband, I said, if I ever know anyone, that's the guy. Like, that's, the that's guy. where I'm sitting them just because it was palpable, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I got that Genuine. sense when I talked to you. You can tell that the passion is there. Um, and I think that that's a big part of your success. I'm in emergency medicine and I, I like mm. it. I think it's interesting. I think it's fun, but I wouldn't say that it's my passion. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. I hear you. I, I think for me, I was willing to hear people's no's because I know to my core, I like this. I love this. This is my passion. But if you struggle with figuring out who you are, what parts of you that you're passionate about, then I think you're a little more able to potentially get drilled by someone else's opinion, but that's all it is an opinion. So I think too, it's me really asking those core questions too of like, who are you at your core? Like you said, I like ophthalmology, but it's just one part of me. What are the other parts of me? Well, I'm very people oriented and ophthalmology and connecting with other people really goes in that. So I'm being engaged with all these parts of myself. Um, and I think I honestly, it doesn't escape me for one moment how honestly lucky I do feel because I do hear from a lot of colleagues in PA where, yeah, it's my job, but I don't really like it. And I'm like, wow, like I actually feel so lucky that I found my passion within medicine. That's not just, oh, I like medicine. Yeah. And that's why I became a PA. It's like, no, I like this. But that's yeah. also my personality. I do better in a, having a craft and kind of just being a master of that craft rather than like a jack of all trades type thing. So you got to yeah. lean into who you are, figure out your personality and what you like and don't like. And I think that will carry you through and be yeah. more sustainable. You're in relationship with yourself. So you put that work in, whether that's, Therapy, exercise, all those things I do to have sustainability. But am I grateful that ophthalmology and I'm passionate about, I don't feel drained from it? Yes. But do I still need to implement those other things to maintain that sustainability? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I actually heard an interview that you had done on someone else's podcast, I think it was. And you were talking about how you really are a specialist in this one Mm. very narrow what we think Mm -hmm. of is very narrow area Mm -hmm. but that one of the reasons that you feel so passionate about it 
is because to you, it doesn't feel like a narrow area. Mm-mm, it's an indication of so many things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I light up about this. And I, when I'm talking to, to students lecturing or with patients, it's, it's so much more than glasses and contacts. I mean, I don't even do that. That's optometry. I mean, I love like the cliche saying, I, the wind of the soul, but it really is real. And that's what I found as a pre-PA when I was, I had this imagination of medicine. I want to do this, but I've never actually done it. How do I know if I like it? I was able to see these patients and being like, whoa, your eyes told us you had this other systemic thing going on. So cool. And I fell in love with the pathology and its relationship with the body, but also just the emotional and artistry aspect of the eye. They're so cool. They're very emotive organs. We communicate them and you have to gaze in eye contact and human interaction. So it's just a moment of shared connection with just a fellow human being. That's how I view it. And it's almost like I get to go look into your eye and let's see what I find. And let's see what I learn about you beyond what maybe you come looking like presenting with. And I think that's such a moment for just all humans. You want to be seen for who you are, not for what you produce or what you look like or how you're perceived. And ophthalmology for me, I really found like was the marriage of like the left side of my brain and the right side. And that's how I found it within medicine. Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. It's almost like a um, like a spiritual reckoning, right? Like, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's kind of nerdy. Maybe other people are like, okay, who's this guy talking? But for me, that's really how I view it. I mean, I have yeah. people all different walks of life and different cultures and races, but none of that really matters when you get to gaze into their eyes and you see really their heart behind who they are. Um, and sometimes literally, if it's a heart, you know, heart condition yeah. or... <laughs> A coronary artery disease that's affecting the rise. But yeah, I've diagnosed many systemic conditions and have saved many lives from an eye exam. So it's more than just waking up and helping. I mean, it's really rewarding to prevent blindness or give someone's vision back. Like that never gets boring. But to be able to be like, oh, I just saved your life. Like, whoa, yeah. this is cool. This is cool, cool work. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. awesome. And I mean, that's the person that I want looking in my eyes right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want, actually I want the person <laughs> who's excited about that yeah. mm-hmm. so I love the part of your story probably more than you do of, <laughs> about how you were being told no and no and no and you know your bills selfishly still wanted to be paid mm-hmm. despite the fact that you hadn't found your dream job Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, well, I guess ophthalmology is not for me, mm-hmm. move on, right? Mm-hmm. You said, okay, this season is not for me in ophthalmology. Mm-hmm. I will spend this season doing something else while mm-hmm. I'm building the life that I want to have. So tell me more about, you know, how did you end up in family medicine? Why family mm-hmm. medicine and not mm-hmm. ortho? Yeah. Um, and then how did you get out of it and then actually start this consulting business that you're engaged in? Okay. So my PA program, we had to do family medicine the whole year. It's a lot different than other programs. I, you're assigned a community and you are in family medicine two or three days of the week for the whole year, not just six weeks next rotation. And then the other days of the week, that's when you're doing your other rotations. I fell in love with that concept because I actually felt like I got to see patients back. In family medicine, it's, you know, see a patient and, okay, come back in three months. As a student, you're not seeing them. You're gone on your next rotation. So through that year, I was assigned this clinic. Well, as we've talked about networking, who am I also getting to know for a year? The entire employees and it's a private practice. So when I was working there for a year, I became very familiar with the EMR, the patients load, all the people I'd be working with. And they, as we 
also mention, and a huge thing I realized going through pay schools, clinical years, pay schools, honestly, all about clinical year and they're all job interviews is the way I look at rotations. Yeah. yeah. And so I had a job interview before I left. Like you've been here a year. You already know how this, I, I basically gave them work for free for a year. And so they were like, come work with us. And so when I graduated and was getting those no's, like you said, well, I need to start my career. I need, I can't just sit around and wait for it to happen. So yeah. let me find a job that I feel I can go to that as I look to, you know, build this ophthalmology thing. And for me, that was the safest option because I knew the people, I knew the EMR, I knew the patients. I knew what I was signing up for, but I also knew they knew my passion. I never hid it from them. They knew very well. I'm like, I like ophthalmology. That's what I'm going to do. So Yes, I'm working there for nine months. I'm getting to work with people I already like. Did I like the medicine as my personal experience with it? No, I found I did not know what burnout was. And that was when I learned what it was, um, which is interesting as a new grad, you should be excited and happy. And I was not realizing the physical manifestations of burnout. I was not sleeping. It was not a good fit for me. And so I'm thankful to have gone through those nine months because now if without it, I think, I don't know if I would be able to recognize what burnout is or how I would, I don't know if I would have strong tools to implement without that experience. But in that experience, when I approached them and said, Hey, I know it's only been nine months, but I'm leaving. I found ophthalmology. They were clapping, go do what you're yeah. passionate about. We know you love that. Go do it. So that's why I picked it. I, it was people that I knew. I went back to the relationships I had. It wasn't oh, let's go do ortho and join a group I have no clue and I'm not passionate about. I'm not doing the work I'm passionate about anyway, so I might as well work with people I actually enjoy. Yes. That was kind of my decision process behind it. Um, while I, every day, would spend time interviewing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's ex essentially how I decided what specialty I liked as well. I went in thinking that I was going to go into psychiatry or mm. pediatrics mm. i went through each rotation and i thought this is a job interview i've got mm -hmm. five weeks to get this job mm. and uh, to my surprise i loved all of my rotations same so right same so every time i would go in i would be like oh these people are great this medicine is interesting yep. these patients yep. are lovely yep and then i was like well i love that what's next and then i would get to what's yep. next and i loved that just as much i know and i'm like i can't narrow this down <laughs> yeah and you're like what a problem to have but yeah. at the same time i was like oh my gosh so for me it really came down to like you said it was like well where's the group where i felt like I didn't have to smile and nod ever, right? Mm -hmm. Like I walked in the department and people were like, hey, dude. And it felt like I was hanging out with like my college buddies. And that's essentially how I end up yeah. in emergency medicine because they said the F word more than everyone else did. <laughs> and I said, I must be here. I certainly enjoy emergency medicine, but I wasn't like, oh, this is the only the medicine I can yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a, I think that is a good lesson for, you know, people who are looking for their way is that, Maybe it isn't exactly clear what that passion is. And and if that's the case. Ask yourself someone... other questions about yes, it. Like, well, right? do you like your coworkers? Do you get along? Do you feel like you're being hovered over at work? Or do you have this underlying fear of like the work and someone's watching? Like those aren't good feelings. Do you yep. feel like you'll go in and be yourself and you have fun? Great. Like if you're not sure where you fit. 
mm-hmm. then probably not going somewhere very specialized and very specific, right? Yeah. Like going somewhere yeah. where you can get a good grasp of yeah. uh, several different fields and specialties and decide where you belong, I yeah. think is probably a, a good rule of thumb. Yeah. So you're in family medicine, you're interviewing on the weekends, you finally find someone to say yes, and Mm -hmm. then you're like, okay, here I go. They're excited for you. Mm -hmm. What did that transition look like? And when did you actually start helping others to do the same things? Yeah. So once I started doing ophthalmology as a PA, I'd say probably within the next week, I was like, okay, I now want, now that I'm actually doing that, I can say this, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you can be an ophthalmology PA. Haven't done it yet. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so once I started doing it, I was like, let's represent this. And so I was one of those people who I didn't have social media throughout PA school. My mentor actually was like, don't have any, like, don't have the distraction. But I was one of those people that like watched like the public profiles. And I started seeing, I mean, gosh, this was 2007, 2019, which seems weird now to say out loud that I've been practicing that long now. But at that time, I think that was really Instagram medical pages were really popping up, really popular. And I started okay. seeing people using Instagram as a outlet to share their profession. And so I was like, mm, I've never had Instagram. I don't know if that's me, but I was like, but I don't know how else to like show this. So I just made an Instagram. And that's when I started showing like, hey, I was an ophthalmology PA. Here are things I do. Anyone else out there that's wanted to. And I was shocked at the influx of messages I would get probably once a week. From someone, hey, I worked in ophthalmology too, was told I can never do it as a PA, but now in ENT because that was the closest I get to the eye. How do I get back in there? And so through Instagram, it kind of started growing a little bit. And then I found I was struggling with, it really goes down to time. I don't know why it took me so long to realize this, but like when you give time to something, you're taking it away from something else. And here I'm giving time to this social media account and my job. And I'm getting all these messages, which is what I wanted, but now I have no time to respond to them mm. or... I'm spending too much time trying to communicate to arrange a phone call with this complete stranger mm-hmm. and realizing like, okay, go back to you. What is your value? What is your worth? And realizing, you know what? Like if there is a way where people could go to a central website, get their questions, they're emailing me where they could just read about it and they could see my availability already, then I'm not spending all this time trying to coordinate a time to connect. And so I mm-hmm. created my business. It's Ophthalmology PA or Physician Assistant Consulting, OPAC is the acronym, um, to have just a central place where people can go to streamline that process just because I didn't have time to answer all these emails and phone calls and coordinate. And now people can go on there, whether they're a pre-PA, whether they're a PA student or an ophthalmology practice, and they could see my availability and they can book, book a consultation. And in that consultation, I go through everything that I have learned through this process, whether that's contract negotiation, salary, how to onboard as a PA in ophthalmology. And then I connect PAs to employers and employers to PAs and try to help grow this profession. And so it's so funny to, for me to think like, man, when I was doing this, I had no one. I was calling people asking for jobs. Now people book appointment and there's this one group. I love how the world works. There's this one person who's like, hey, I'm looking for an ophthalmology PA position in Portland, Oregon. The next day I have a practice from Portland, Oregon, looking for a PA, boom, connect, done. Like, I'm like, you have no clue how easy you just had it, like compared to me when I had it, but that's so fun to see it grow. So I basically represented, started on social media, but switched over to that way just because I, I work five days a week and I needed more structure in my life and not have it be so open-ended. It was kind of weird when people start feeling like they just have access to you at any time. And I was like, We've never met just because you DM me and I responded once. Now you don't get to message me 
at all hours. We there's a three hour time change for some of us yeah. in California, you know. And I just wanted a little more boundaries um, and more uh, like I still want this to be accessible, but I can't be accessible to myself and my family and my day to day life and all of you. I don't know if you relate to that or not, but just need boundaries. Yeah, I think you are teaching at more places than any other PA that I know. You're on faculty at a lot of different institutions. And so you have mm-hmm. those students yep. that you want yes. to really reserve emotional energy for yeah. to mentor and mm-hmm. pour into. And I think I yeah. think all of those things take uh, emotional energy. And even mm-hmm. when you're taking care of yourself, you, you have to have yes. boundaries to be effective. Yep, absolutely. And of course, I couldn't let Joel go without discussing a little bit of ophthalmology and how it pertains to health insurance in the ER. I don't know why this is a medicine in the United States, but why in ophthalmology, we're like the one field where we have medical insurance and vision. And vision insurance confuses patients. They don't realize that's optical, that's glasses contacts. They don't know if their eye is red, that's their medical insurance. So some people, oh, I don't have vision insurance. I can't see an ophthalmologist. So they go to ER and it's like, no, like that's totally under your medical insurance. But they don't know that. Honestly, that's something I never even thought about, right? Like the insurance <laughs> thing and that someone might think, oh, well, I don't have vision, but I have medical. So let me go here. Yep. Um, I have found uh, <laughs> in my experience that I have patients on a regular basis who do not have established care. And if I literally just Google ophthalmology and the address of the emergency department I am currently practicing in, I can usually get someone on the phone Mm -hmm. and that person usually says, look, if you can get them here in the next 20 minutes, we'll see them. Is that your experience on the West Coast? I love that you bring that up. It is one thing I'm really proud of. I will say consistent across board. Most people say like, oh, ophthalmology, you guys are so nice. Like a lot of ERs, they're like, I love calling ophthalmology because they never say no. And they're always like, They never yell at you. Yeah. They take care of your patients. Yeah. (laughs) Because honestly, one, I think all of us are really happy. We enjoy our field and we have really good work-life balance within ophthalmology. So I think we're just in better moods, like as a general, like receiving that call. But two, we know like, yeah, what are you guys going to do? You know, like just we'll see them and it is a simple google search but if your patient can't see to pop this you know there's so many yeah. barriers i think it's really eye-opening to realize patients vision impacts so much of their life and patients will say that you didn't give me my vision back give me my life back because they can't do certain things they used to do if they can't see to do it and there's a lot of barriers to care with patients um and i think that's why they're going to you all yeah and it, 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 that i mean uh, how do we prevent that when now we're talking social risk factors and all these other risk factors that can we control that? But at the end of the day, if you're a New York urgent care provider and you're seeing something in the eyes, I'd say across the board, if you ever just not sure, just send it to Opto nine out of 10, they're going to be like, yeah, happy to see them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But how do we reduce those visits? That's, yeah, that's hard. It's a great question, right? So if I were to have an eye complaint of any flavor that I thought necessitated an emergency room visit, me personally, Mm. I would have someone drive me to the emergency room. And while I was in the car, I would be on the phone with whatever ophthalmology practice I could find to dial. Is that that what you would recommend or, or what do you? Yeah, I would say if you don't have established care, within an ophthalmology clinic, let's say you're just, you're not a patient of an eye clinic 
and you have this really emergent situation with your eyes, whether you have sudden loss of vision or excruciating pain, yes, work your way towards an urgent care ER, but bring someone with you because you're probably going to be dilated. So you're going to need someone to drive you anyways, or they might do a procedure, but or you can't see to drive. So bring someone with you, but really try to find on your own advocacy, an eye clinic who you can establish care with. If you have established care with an eye clinic, honestly, I would call them before you go to the ER because even if it's after hours, every eye clinic is going to have an on-call ophthalmologist that's staffed from that clinic. So you're going to be able to get a hold of someone that's no different than your PA ER provider calling that on-call ophthalmologist. It's the only difference is you're the one doing it versus a provider, right? Right. But it's the same phone call that you're making. Um, and so if you have an eye clinic established, don't hesitate to reach out to them first even if it's after hours, because there's going to be someone who's going to take your call. So I would do that. I would base it more triage like that. Are you established patient right clinic? Well, yes or no. And then go down from there. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's also a really great point because, you know, I do have patients who say, oh, I didn't know that I could call this person. I didn't know someone would be covering for my doctor. They're mm -hmm. on vacation or what have you. And a lot of times Always. Like, we're just saying like, well, yes, of course. And I'll call for <laughs> you. Right. But like, you know, the patient could have potentially called the four hours they were waiting in the waiting room mm -hmm. as well. Yep. So yep. as we're wrapping up, mm -hmm. how can people reach out to you? How can they follow you? How can they find out more about ophthalmology? Yeah, I'd say fastest way because it gives you that, it shows all the links to everything else is just my website. So www.joelsilek.com. That's J-O-E-L. And my last name is C-I-O-L-E-K. Com. That will bring up the website on there. It has links to my Instagram and link to my email where you can send me an email as well. Um, and so people can find me through that way and send me an email about if you want to meet or just have a general question or if you're a professional out there and just questions about the podcast, what we talked about. Yeah. All right. Perfect. And are you available to do guest lectures you know, virtually for PO, PA programs? Yes. Like that? Yeah, so I teach uh, locally here in the Bay Area, California, but I do teach virtually to programs on the East Coast as well. Yep. And I've been doing that for a long time now. So happy to connect to other PA programs out there who want someone to teach their eye content. Yeah. Yeah, sounds awesome. All right, yeah, Joel, so well, it was lovely having you on. Thanks, Tiffany. I appreciate your energy and inviting me and just all the work we're doing. It's fun to connect to someone who thinks outside the blocks too. I think that is a common thread between me and all of the guests that I invite on. <laughs> I really just want people who are passionate about whatever they're passionate about, making the world a better place and mm -hmm. um, and are doing so in sort of a different way. Yeah. 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 Just a dash of outside the norm. Yeah. yeah just a little. Yeah. All yeah. right. Thanks all so right. much, Have a Joel. Good night. All right. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Get Med Savvy Podcast. To see what we're up to, check us out at www.tiffanyrider.com.